0: But open up, if you would, and stand for the reading of God's word to Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 15. The book of Proverbs, chapter 17, and we're only going to read one verse, and that's verse 15. The scripture simply reads, He who justifies the wicked, and he who condemns the just, Both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is A Warning to America, A Look at the Dobbs Opinion. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we give thanks and praise to you that you have preserved your word so we do know your ways and your thoughts. We do know right from wrong, injustice from justice. Good from evil. Your law and word reveals it to men. And Lord, you see how those in rebellion against you do everything they can to make good evil and evil good in our day. You see the indifference of the churchmen in this regard, abandoning the magistrates, abandoning the realm of civil government and the awful consequences that it's had. Lord, I ask and pray that you use this sermon for good, to strengthen the hearts of your people, encourage them. O oh Lord, and to see things straight, clearly, properly. Lord, I ask and pray that you help me to set forth that which you've put on my heart to declare. And may each of us be forever different because of the preaching of your word this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could be seated. So I took the time to read the Dobbs decision this past week. It's a 79-page document, but there's 200 and some pages once you read the appendices and the dissents or the concurring other opinions. So I want to address it. The Dobbs decision, of course, overturned Roe and Casey, and it does. But I wanted to address a little of it. I've done this in the past when SCOTUS has issued opinions. Um, I'll put them down in the details box of this sermon. Um, I preached regarding the Obergefell opinion, where two men and two women can marry. I preached regarding the Master Peace Cake opinion, which was just a sham. And so I'll put the, both of those sermons, so you, if you're not familiar with them, you can see, so I want to do that Here. Those sermons showed how immoral SCOTUS is in comparison to the law and word of God. And the dissents written by the justices regarding this case, the Dobbs case, is no different. Complete illogical idiocy. Evil. Evil. And I'm not going to dwell on theirs. what they had to say. I'm not even going to address what they had to say. That's my conclusion of what they had to say right there. Complete illogical idiocy, Evil. I speak on these issued opinions by the court in part because it's good to make a historical record for future generations of Christians and people. The title of my sermon this morning, A Warning to America, A Look at the Dobbs Opinion, is simply that, and I want to give a warning in two areas when I speak of a warning. Two areas. I'm not going to be lengthy in going through this opinion by the court regarding Dobbs. You're not going to fall asleep, hopefully. Much of it is mere technical insight as to why they are giving the abortion matter back to the states, which in and of itself is a falsehood because it actually never left the states' hands, as I will address in the second part of my warning to America the opinion is mere technical insight and justification for their decision. Overwhelmingly so. Mere technical insight and justification for their decision. They spend much time explaining stare decisis in their issued opinion, the Dobbs opinion. The first part of my warning regards innocent blood and the doctrine of blood guilt. When SCOTUS released their Dobbs opinion on Friday, June 24th 2022 there were four noted and noticeable responses number 1 celebration millions of christians and profilers celebrated they did so profusely number 2 indifference about 90% of churchmen and christians had nothing to say about the opinion Number three was chastisement. Christians chastised other Christians for not being sensitive to the women who were feeling bad because their quote-unquote rights had been impugned by the Dobbs decision. Many in American Christianity have learned just who is sitting alongside them in the pews each Sunday. They've learned who's sitting next to them over the last week. And number four, the wicked got busy. At state, county, and local levels to make sure the quote unquote right to murder your own sons and daughters was preserved in law. But here's what I noticed most far more than anything else. I noticed that there was no repentance being displayed by Americans. No repentance. No repentance from the pro lifers no repentance from the churchmen and the Christians, no repentance among the American people, no repentance from SCOTUS itself. No repentance. And my heart has been heavy and broken over it. Why would the pro-lifers be celebrating? I mean, I get it in part. Okay, Roe has gone down but they're still going to be murdering people. And I get it. If you think that is the be-all and end-all, the coup d'etat of what we've all thought we should be fighting for for 50 years, Roe being overturned, I get that you would celebrate that, right? But the killing will continue across America. Many have this mythical idea that when the Supreme Court undid Roe, it meant that there would be no legal abortion across America. That is simply not the case. What is there to celebrate? There's been nearly 50 years of innocent bloodshed. Over 70 million have been slaughtered, all while the pro-life movement spent all those years going to the tyrant, SCOTUS itself, with hat in hand, Begging for scraps off the table when they never needed to. 50 years of bloodshed and butchering slaughter, 70 million plus dead, and the Christians overwhelmingly stood by in utter indifference, throwing lip service behind the pathetic efforts of the pro life movement rather than leading the effort on behalf of these little ones themselves. Is that what we're celebrating? There's much not to celebrate. There's much to repent of. There's much to be broken in heart over. 38 times prior to Dobbs, the Supreme Court upheld Roe. 38 times. That's not counting the thousands of bills trampled by the federal judiciary, which never made it to the Supreme Court. Is everyone celebrating this lackluster performance? Understand everyone benefited from the arrangement of judicial supremacy, everyone sitting by trying to overturn Roe, everyone except the pre-born. Everyone else benefited, but not the pre-born. The GOP politicians benefited because they could get labeled as pro-life by the pro-life, pro-family groups for signing on to bills which asked for scraps off the tyrant's table. It got them votes all while knowing the bills they proffered would be trampled by the federal courts. And the pro-life, pro-family groups all benefited because they were able to fill their coffers by the millions for decades by bringing these worthless bills, begging for scraps off the tyrant's table, knowing full well they would be trampled by the federal courts, and they get to do it all again. They learned how to make money going into proposing the bills and make money on the way out when the federal courts trampled their bills. Is that what we're celebrating? Those claiming to be for the preborn got votes and filled their coffers off the bloody backs of the murdered preborn. Got votes, filled their coffers off the bloody backs of the murdered preborn. Everyone benefited from the arrangement. Even the pro-choice groups, even the pro-death politicians, they all benefited. Everyone benefited from this cozy arrangement except the pre-born themselves. Think of that. Is that what we're celebrating? If you spoke of interposition by the lesser authorities, the pro-lifers repudiated such notions and ran everyone up the mountainous lie of judicial supremacy. They wanted nothing to do with that. No votes could be had, no coffers filled if we went with that. We did speak about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates for the last nine years. I did a sermon of repentance in 2013 for having been a part of that whole thing, which I'm denouncing to you this morning. I was a part of that whole operation, that whole thinking. In 2013, I preached a sermon of repentance, and I'll put that in the detail box too. I realize this is nonsense, going back to the tyrant time and again with our hat in our hand, begging for some scraps. We must press and prod our magistrates, our state officials, county, local, to do their duty and interpose and defy the federal judiciary, defy SCOTUS and their evil and their wickedness. We tried all we could. My book sold nearly 100,000 copies now. We were making progress, but it was all hindered by the Republicans and the pro-life, pro-family groups themselves. In the last seven years, 14 states introduced bills of abolition, interposition, which would have caused the state to ignore Roe and uphold their laws or make even better laws and defy SCOTUS. They declared these laws, these bills, they declared the humanity of the preborn, treated abortion as the murder it is, had no exceptions, had true equity wherein all involved, including the mother, could be prosecuted, and they defied SCOTUS in their wicked decree. Many states introduced such bills numerous times 14 states in all, numerous states multiple times, and all of those bills were killed by the GOP machinery and the pro life, pro family groups themselves. The wicked didn't even need to show up. And they didn't. The people who claimed to be for the preborn were putting knives in the back of the preborn. And the only reason that wouldn't bother you is because of your own indifference, because of your own lack of engagement of what was going on. This is what we should be broken and hard over. This is what should grieve us. This is what should cause us to repent before God. 70 million butchered, 50 years. Is that what we're celebrating? There's been no repentance by the pro-lifers of the pro-life movement for their despicable behavior and repugnant strategy over the last 50 years of slaughter. No weeping, no broken hearts, no remorse for taking a path of strategy which allowed the slaughter to continue for 50 years when it all could have been stopped in 1973 or any time from them till last week. And there's been no repentance from the churchmen and Christians regarding their indifference. That's why 90% have nothing to say over the last nine days since the opinion was released. At most, they threw a few dollars and a little lip service behind the pro-life movement and their failed conscious salving strategies The vast majority were completely silent and indifferent. Some pat themselves on the back and say, The Lord heard our prayers. Dobbs has shown us that. Praying, while they took no action. Utterly unbiblical, despicable, pathetic, pietistic rot. Others have said, We followed what our Constitution teaches, and Roe has been overturned, while in reality our Constitution does not teach judicial supremacy, and you stood by while 70 million were butchered. But I guess that was okay, since it wasn't your head on the chopping block of bloody injustice. No repentance by the churchmen and the Christian. just smugness and indifference. And this indifference to the slaughter of these little ones by the churchmen and Christians, has led to there being no repentance among the American people themselves. They are not repentant in the least. They, like most of Christianity, are overwhelmingly indifferent to their slaughter. You will see their indifference in the days ahead, while the slaughter of the preborn continues in most of the states to one degree or another. The indifference in the face of murder is stunning. One guy on social media, told me to mind my own effing business when I wrote about the plight of the preborn. Well, when murder is taking place on a national scale, it is my business, it's all of our business. And to stand by and do nothing shows what's in your heart. There's been no repentance by the pro-lifers, or the pro-life, pro-family groups, or the Republican politicians, or the churchmen, or the Christians, or the American people themselves. There wasn't even any repentance displayed in this matter by SCOTUS itself, in their Dobbs opinion, that overturned Roe. Even the opinion itself displays no repentance. No remorse, no brokenness in heart for something so outlandish that resulted in over 70 million butchered. Nothing in the Dobbs opinion even remotely hints at that. No repentance all the way around. When you read the opinion, no heartfelt remorse, even slightly, none, for the fact that over 70 million were butchered while all stood by under the lie of judicial supremacy. Just cold, cold, technical writing about why they are overturning Roe and returning it to the states. No denunciation of such despicable evil. No mention of God's law or word. They couldn't even declare the humanity and personhood of the preborn from the moment of conception. No repentance, even in the slightest way, expressed by the court. Simply, now the states can decide when these quote-unquote potential lives are butchered or whether they're butchered at all, as each state decides. Their lack of repentance is seen throughout the issued opinion. And it is seen in this declaration of the opinion, the court declared and wrote on page 71 of their 79-page opinion, quote, Finally, the dissent, those justices on the Supreme Court that disagreed with the majority, finally the dissent, suggests that our decision calls into question Griswold, Eisenstadt, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Griswold and Eisenstadt, of course, had to do with the legalization of birth control. Lawrence and Obergefell had to do with the decriminalization of sodomy and homosexual marriage. So they're pointing out that the dissenting justices suggests that our decision calls into question Griswold, Eisenstadt, Lawrence, and Obergefell, but we have stated unequivocally that, quote, nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that so not concern abortion, unquote. They're quoting from page 66 earlier in their opinion, repeating it, making clear, no, we're not jeopardizing those rights, the right to birth control, the right to sodomy and marrying another man if you're a man, another woman if you're a woman. They go on and they say, we also explain why this is so. Rights regarding contraception and same-sex relationships are inherently different from the right to abortion because the latter, as we have stressed, uniquely involves what Roe and Casey termed, quote, potential life. Therefore, a right to abortion cannot be justified by a purported analogy to the rights recognized in those other cases or by appeals to a broader right to autonomy. Unquote. No repentance. Rather, they impugn the created order of God regarding the conceiving of children, and they impugn the law and word of God regarding matters of homosexuality. My heart breaks because I see no repentance, and I know God's just judgment looms upon our nation and every state of this nation. Some have said that the Dobbs opinion now removes the blood guilt on America. This is utterly false and shows a massive ignorance regarding the doctrine of blood guilt. The doctrine of blood guilt demands punishment. Blood guilt demands that the blood of the murderer be shed in order for atonement to be made and justice to be rendered. When a murder takes place, God's law is clear in Numbers 35 33, that, quote, blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land on which blood has been shed except by the blood of the one who shed it, unquote. In Deuteronomy 21, the sermon that I'm already going to have posted there, my sermon of repentance, it goes into the doctrine of innocent blood and blood guilt more thoroughly, and there's a way to take care of the blood guilt when it is not known who the murderer is. But God's word is clear. There is to be punishment. And there is no punishment here. Dobbs' opinion doesn't offer one ounce of punishment. We don't get to just walk away from our blood guilt this court opinion doesn't exonerate us of the 70 million-plus innocents whose blood fills the land. SCOTUS calls for no punishment. They don't even caution against continuing the bloodshed. They simply say each state can decide for itself to add to the 70 million murdered or not. Every state, even those now criminalizing abortion, have blood guilt. All our hands are covered in blood, every American. When punishment is not rendered and atonement made for the shedding of innocent blood, the whole nation suffers, the whole state or territory suffers, all stand guilty. Innocent blood and blood guilt shows us why involvement in civil government matters are important. I know American Christianity teaches Christians to be spiritual by having nothing to do with civil government matters, but blood guilt reveals something very opposite. To what the churchmen have pillared in our time. Turn with me, if you could, to Second Kings chapter 23. The book of Second Kings, chapter 23. And look at verse 36. It says Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah the daughter of Pedaiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He unleashed the tyrants. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. And then get this in verses 3 and 4. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done. He was a prior king of Israel. And also, because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Understand, Jehoiakim is three generations after Manasseh. They thought they had slipped out from under The blood guilt. No. Blood guilt has to be atoned for. And if punishment isn't rendered against those who did the evil, it visits the whole population down the road. That's a tenet of the doctrine of blood guilt. Those who think civil government matters do not matter, I encourage you to look at this. The actions of the civil authorities as representative heads of the nation impacts the whole nation. No one escapes. All are affected, whether for good or for bad, based on the actions of the civil leaders. Roe being overturned does not remove America's blood guilt. You don't get to walk away from all this bloodshed and slaughter with a celebratory rally and an afterglow latte. I cry out to you like George Woodfield of old once said. He said, quote, when he was preaching, he said, quote, you're all monsters of iniquity, and if you'll not weep for your sins, I'll weep for you, unquote. Does your heart weep, brothers and sisters? Is your heart broken? Will you bring fruits of repentance? So I'm here to warn you, our hands are covered with blood, and that is my first warning to America. The second part of my warning has to do with the matter of judicial supremacy. In their opinion, SCOTA states several times or something similar. Here's what they said, quote, It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, unquote. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion back to the people's elected representatives, unquote. The truth of the matter is, abortion never left the state representatives' hands. They end the opinion right at the very end of their 79 pages with these words, quote, The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Amen. Never did, never will. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected officials, unquote. They say here, Roe and Casey arrogated the state's authority, but the truth is, Roe and Casey never arrogated that authority. Rather, the state officials, governors, and legislators county board members, mayors, city councils, they all simply ceded the authority to SCOTUS and refused to do their duty of interposition. Did you hear what I said? The truth is, Roe and Casey never arrogated that authority. Rather, the state officials, governors, legislators, on down, simply ceded the authority to SCOTUS and refused to do their duty of interposition. They say here they are returning that authority to the states, but again, the truth is that authority never left the state representatives' hands to begin with, never left the governor's hands to begin with. The only thing that gives an opinion by SCOTUS any force of law within a state is the governor himself saying, boingo bango, yeah, same-sex marriage is now the law of the land in Wisconsin, as Scott Walker said after the Obergefell opinion. They have no policing power, and we shouldn't let our governors and our legislators on down get away with this lie. They love the arrangement because then they're able to say, well, I'm opposed to abortion, or I'm opposed to same-sex marriage, but the Supreme Court has ruled, and all we can do is obey, and that's a lie. The lie they're teaching you is called judicial supremacy. It has three fictions to it. Number one is that opinions issued by SCOTUS are the law of the land, and they are not. Number two fiction is that the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of all constitutional questions, and they are not. And number three part, third part of their fiction is that all other branches of government at any level all have to bow down to SCOTUS and do whatever they say, and they do not. I wrote on social media and email the following after the Dobbs opinion was issued. Here's what I wrote. I am thankful that the court has trounced Roe, but understand those pro-lifers celebrating the end of Roe are doing so with blood up to their necks. I am grieved that every state, every county, every city, village, and town went along with this slaughter for nearly 50 years. Over 70 million were murdered, butchered in a brutal fashion, all while we parlayed with the court, going with hat in hand, year after year, begging scraps off the tyrant's table, when the duty of all the government officials was to defy the judiciary in the face of murder. I went on to say, understand the pro-life politicians, GOP, and pro-life, pro-family groups sustained this slaughter of the preborn and prolonged the bloodshed by running everyone behind the lie of judicial supremacy. I then went on to say the fight now intensifies. The state, county, and local officials no longer have the excuse that SCOTUS gave them. They can no longer hide behind the skirt of the court. Now we will see the treachery toward the preborn continued continue by the pro-life politicians and the pro-life, pro-family groups. They will water down the bills brought forward. You must stand strong for the little ones, attend and speak at public hearings, write letters, attend gatherings. Our hands are covered in blood. Repentance and faithfulness is needed. Understand, most all states had outlawed abortion in some way before Roe came down. 30 of them outlawed it at all times before Roe's. Opinion, the Roe opinion was handed down. Their duty was to defend the preborn from murder and interpose against the Supreme Court back in 1973 or begin to do so anywhere along the way. Instead, they all offered blithe compliance. And even now, SCOTUS mentions three times in this Dobbs opinion that 26 states asked them, quote unquote, asked them to overturn Roe and Casey. Asked them utter evil when their duty was interposition, joining in the lie and the fiction, something our founders never intended for this country. Our founders did not throw off a monarchy to replace it with an oligarchy, and that's what the Supreme Court has become. They all do a biblical view of the nature of man that he's wicked and in need of a savior, namely Jesus Christ. Therefore, they pillared a true federalism which has multiple levels of government, multiple branches on each level, so if any one branch or branches began to play the tyrant, another branch or branches would check them, interpose against them, even if that branch was the federal judiciary and the Supreme Court itself. The truth is the politicians loved the arrangements because they got eye behind the skirt of the court. They could tell all of us that they're against the killing of the preborn, but the Supreme Court has ruled. We're against sodomite marriage, but the Supreme Court has ruled. Here's the silver lining in the Dobbs opinion they can no longer hide behind the skirt of the court. They are going to have to show themselves. And it's our job to expose them. You see that pathetic response Tim Michaels issued out over the Dobbs opinion? Pathetic. Despicable. Same old nonsense you get from the GOP machinery time and time again. Understand the Supreme Court has no more authority to declare abortion illegal across America than it did to declare abortion legal across America. Some people are upset. They're like, oh, the Supreme Court and the Dobbs opinion didn't go far enough. They should have just said it's illegal across America. Well, then you don't understand our institutions, and you don't understand that the federal government was meant to just have a little small part of authority that the vast majorities vast majority of what needs to be done and the laws that need to be made are to stay with the states. They had no authority to declare it legal. They have no authority to declare it illegal. Get over it. It's all the fiction of judicial supremacy. Understand also that Congress itself has no authority to legalize abortion across America. Did you notice they're trying to get that done? Now they're saying they're using this all to whip people into a frenzy, to win the midterm elections, and then we're going to make this law nationwide. And anybody can murder their baby. They don't have any authority in the Constitution to do that. The state authorities shouldn't obey SCOTUS, and if Congress does it, they shouldn't obey Congress. They've exceeded the limits of their authority. Read the Constitution. Prior to the Constitution, you have a few minutes here? Let me give you a little history. Prior to the Constitution being ratified, the understanding among the founders was that a state could not be brought before a federal bench. And look how that's all been flipped on its head. A state could not be brought before... They all believed that. It was talked about at the Constitutional Convention. It's in the minutes. But just six years after the ink had dried on the Constitution, exactly that took place. A state was brought before a federal bench in the Chisholm versus Georgia case. Decided by SCOTUS in 1793, the case arose in 1792 when Alexander Chisholm from South Carolina decided to sue the state of Georgia. The defendant, Georgia, refused to appear, claiming that, as a sovereign state, it could not be sued without granting its consent to the suit. The Supreme Court ruled that Article Three, Section 2 of the Constitution abrogated the state's sovereign immunity, which if you go there, you realize it doesn't, abrogated the state's sovereign immunity and granted federal courts the affirmative power to hear disputes between private citizens and states. Understand, this was the first of a long march. 26 cases in the first 35 years of the Supreme Court's existence trampled the sovereignty of the states and wrote powers to the federal judiciary and to the entire federal beast, entire federal government, not granted to them in the Constitution. They were using their issued opinions to take on powers for themselves they did not possess in the contract called the Constitution. This was the very first. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and even John Marshall, who would later become Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, had all expressed the opinion before the Constitution was ratified that the highest authority of a state could not be called before the bar of a federal court. Now the court, just six years later, is saying the exact opposite of what the founders understood. The Supreme Court began rewriting the Constitution through their issued opinions in order to assume powers not granted to the federal judiciary in the Constitution or to the federal government and to trample the sovereignty of the states. Only one justice in Chisholm versus Georgia dissented. His name was James Ardell. He wrote a great dissenting opinion, and here's part of what he said. Listen to this. Quote, Every state in the Union, in every instance where its sovereignty has not been delegated to the United States, I consider to be as completely sovereign as the United States are in respect to the powers surrendered. The United States are sovereign as to all the powers of government actually surrendered, which is found in the Constitution. Each state in the Union is sovereign as to all the powers reserved. That's why Madison said that the powers given to the federal government are few and defined, and those that remain with the states are enormous. <laughs> it's like... Ardell went on to say it must necessarily be so, because the United States have no claim to any authority, but such as the states have surrendered to them. Unquote. That's all been lost on Americans. So alarmed were the states of this arrogant ruling by SCOTUS in 1793... That defiance of it resulted in the 11th Amendment being passed in 1795. Our First Amendment after the first 10, you know, at the writing of the Constitution, the very first one had to do with the judiciary acting outside its lawful restraints. So here's what... The 11th Amendment says the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of a foreign state. Yeah, they're not to be brought before a federal court, a state. The states and Congress successfully reined in this power grab and act of lawlessness by the Supreme Court, reigned it in temporarily, that is. The federal judiciary was unimpressed and continued their attacks upon state sovereignty. The Supreme Court arrogantly trampled the 11th Amendment just 26 years later in Cohens v. Virginia. The opinion issued by SCOTUS was a political manifesto designed to humiliate the states and to strengthen the power of the federal government. I know some of you don't care about this kind of stuff, and I can tell on some of your faces, my golly, the guy's going to kill me. But I don't care, because these are prescient points I'm making. And if you don't understand them, you have no argument. You have to understand these things so you can make your argument. Because the lesser authorities aren't going to interpose as long as they believe in judicial supremacy and as long as you allow them to get away with it. So slap yourself around a little bit. Make sure you listen to the sermon five times after it's done and understand these simple points. Amazingly, the man who wrote the opinion was Chief Justice John Marshall, Cohens versus Virginia. John Marshall wrote that opinion, and he had declared prior to the Constitution being ratified in 1787, he said, quote, this is in the minutes, I hope that no gentleman will think that a state will be called at the bar of a federal court." Unquote. They all believe the state shouldn't be brought before federal courts. The federal courts were designed for them to adjudicate their federal stuff and the few little powers they possessed. As James Madison, the architect of the Constitution, said, few and defined. You don't need experts to define it for you, call lawyers. They're the scum of the earth. You know what a 1,000 lawyers at the bottom of the ocean is? A good start. You know what the difference is between Bigfoot and an ethical lawyer? Bigfoot's been seen. Yeah. This is a huge problem that we have with the lawyers. They want you to believe judicial supremacy for a reason. They like their guild wielding power it should not possess. Cohen's versus Virginia exposed... Marshall's hypocrisy or his collusion with Hamilton and the Nationalists, whichever the case may be historically. In case after case, for the first 40 years of its existence, SCOTUS wrote, power for itself, not granted by the Constitution, and trampled the sovereignty of the states. I have a bunch of them listed here. I won't go through them all. You go to our website, defytirants.com, I have an article that addresses all this. Called the early years of the Supreme Court or something like that. Understand, SCOTUS had no authority to declare abortion legal. It has no authority to impose homosex on the states. Every state should have laws criminalizing homosex. Every state should have laws making it clear that two men and two women can't marry. Our state actually has a constitutional amendment declaring that All the Republicans stampeded us into helping get that passed on a big election year, which helped all their guys get into power. They said we needed this constitutional amendment to our state constitution because we could have a federal court that tries to impose same-sex marriage on Wisconsin. But then what did they do? As soon as a federal court imposed same-sex marriage, Scott Walker couldn't run to a microphone fast enough to declare to all Wisconsinites that same-sex marriage is now the law of the land. That's exactly what he said. And the very next sentence after that he said was that, and now we can talk to the children about something that's more important, like the economy. Those are your great Republican heroes. (laughs) Understand also, Congress has no authority to declare abortion legal across America. And if they do so, the duty of state authorities is not by compliance. Their duty is interposition. Interposition, proof text, Ezekiel 22, 27 through 31. Ezekiel 22, 27 through 31. I could go through a whole host of verses talking about interposition by God's people and by civil authorities from Scripture. And so this is my second warning to America. If you continue to allow judicial supremacy, you are only one court opinion away from SCOTUS disarming you. You might be all happy. You know, oh, this court's great. They just gave us a good gun. It'll change. You don't join in a lie because it's working good for you right now. You challenge the lie in its face and restore order. If you continue to allow judicial supremacy, you are the only... You are only one court opinion away from SCOTUS disarming you. You are only one court opinion away from SCOTUS telling you that you must put into your arm what the government or some corporation tells you you must put into your arm or into your children's arms. If you don't break this thing, all these officials, they're already going along with sodomy. They went along with 50 years of blood, brutal murder, bloodshed. They'll go along with disarming you. They'll go along with you being forced to put stuff in your body the government or some corporation wants you to put in your body. What are you thinking, America? No repentance. That's what America's thinking. The tyrants have let up a little this year. Why? It's an election year. Get a brain. What do Americans do? Do they gather to cry out to God? to repent before him, to change their lives and do right before him? No. They head back to the bars and the pubs and they eat their food and lay around drinking their lattes. You're living in a fantasy land. You think you're going to escape the just judgment of God? You're living in a fantasy land. Even Thomas Jefferson understood that God is just and his justice doesn't sleep forever. We must not parlay with madmen for 50 years over homosex, like we did with murder. It's been 50 years that this bloodshed went on. You know what happens when you allow evil to remain? It gets down into the fabric of society. Oh, yeah, after 50 years, all of a sudden, flip, now we're done with abortion. Not really. It's going to continue in most states. But now the homosex thing, which they, in their own opinion, are like, this isn't the same as that. Are they going to let that sit for 50 years? It corrupts people. And this is overwhelmingly the history of governments. The people don't become corrupt and change the laws of a nation. The government changes the laws of a nation to corrupt the people. That's history. that's exactly what Obergefell is designed to do. Exactly what Lawrence is designed to do. I'm old enough, I've watched every American change on it. Unbelievable to me. The tyrant, wicked, evil, superior civil authorities always count on the blithe compliance of the lesser authorities in order to get their evil down in the fabric of society. It is the duty of the people to demand of their lesser authorities to do their duty, to interpose and stop the evil, stop the progress of evil. Don't let it become worse than it already is. Already they're talking about the generation, my generation to the next generation to the next generation to the youngest generation now, how homosex is just growing. Think about that. We live in a country that allows two men or two women to adopt a child. What perversion where college kids, high school kids, middle school kids, and now elementary kids are all taught about homosex in glowing fashions, where if you speak against it, you're censored by big tech. Or you could actually be arrested like a young man preaching the gospel, just happened to him last week out in Washington. Remember, in Philadelphia, this was 15 years ago. Seven people were arrested for preaching the gospel at a sodomite event. They were looking at 40 years in prison. They were drugged through the courts for two and a half years before they was finally thrown out. Evil's growing. So we need to repent. And may we repent. Repentance is needed in our hearts, in our churches, in our states, in our nation. Repentance is needed all around. Let us repent. Stand up, and we'll close the word prayer. Father, we give thanks and we give praise to you for your goodness to us. May we understand, O Lord, that we are your ambassadors in the earth, and as your ambassadors, we make known to men your holy law, your word, and your great salvation. May we not not desire to be liked by men, O God. May we understand that true love is seen how we truly love our neighbor is seen in your law and in your word not stealing their property, not having sex with their wife not coveting their stuff not stealing their things Lord I ask and pray that we would live right before you that we would do right before you with the days you've given us that we would talk to the people of this nation, pointing them to your son, Jesus Christ, his salvation and his rule. And Lord, that we would also, Father, talk to the magistrates, understand that a public hearing is a wonderful thing, to talk about your point of view regarding matters that they speak or legislate on. Lord, I just ask and pray that you put within our hearts a fire, Give the young people strength. Give us old people strength, O God, to do right by you and to speak. May your anointing be upon them when they do, whether on the street, whether privately in the workplace, whether before the magistrates, put a fire within them, O God. May the hearers be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment as they do speak. May we not squander our days, Lord. May we live faithful to you, I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We rejoice in you. We thank you for the redemption that we have in you. That while we were yet sinners, you loved us. That while we should have been put to death, you died in our stead, so that through faith, your righteousness is imputed to us. Forgiveness of sin is obtained, and right standing with the Father is gained. Lord, I just ask and pray that we would live our lives in service to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we live our lives in service to you who died in our stead.